solo no heather no miss d no collins and uh but i am going to talk about a musician absolutely uh fantastic organist singer in the choir saxophone player and a grandfather <laughs> welcome to kettle whistle radio uh, a little bit of a different show this time around uh, i'm not gonna have uh whimsy as much <laughs> you might be able to find some I'm uh, in, in honor of Memorial Day and um, I did post some items about that my uh, Grandpa Phil Grandpa Phil Fairhead veteran, uh, served in World War II aboard the New Mexico uh, he I was fortunate enough to sit down with him three months before he passed uh, and interview him and I was hoping it was going to be for a Memorial Day show, and I'm talking uh, way back. Uh, now we're going back. Oh gosh, two years now. Um, uh, it, it's hard for me to discuss. It was going to be for you know uh, Veterans Day, Memorial Day. Uh, actually, originally just just a Veterans Day. And uh, three months after I interviewed him, um, he had passed away. Now, this is uh, Grandpa Phil from Texas, originally from New York, of course. Uh, lived in Cooperstown with my Grandma Jean and had some great years there fishing and um, just staying with grandparents and my cousins and aunt and uncle and mom and dad. And Grandpa was an extraordinary man with many, many stories to tell. And I wanted to capture some of those some oh, a lot of us have heard some uh, I was surprised to hear and uh, when I sat down with him this was at an assistant living home and uh, again three months before he passed and uh, he you know did a little reveal well, not a reveal all let's uh, you know he some of the stuff I will keep for myself and for family 
but uh, it was nice to have this chance to talk to somebody from the greatest generation and share it with others after I'm gone. Maybe it'll still be out there on the internets. Uh, I don't know. Let me take a sip here from my coffee mug. Uh, Nelson, my partner, Nelson W. Piles, will be proud. I'm drinking from his Demon Dolls and Milkshakes coffee mug. Great horror novel, Postmortem Press. Check it out. Always plugging my friends here. And, um, and I'm going to plug myself, too. Grandpa would have been proud. I, um, I've been published before. Uh, Big Book of Bizarro, Burning Bowl Press, and, uh, of course, the WZWA comic books. But most recently, Burning Bowl Press um, published my book, The Fall of Tomorrow. And Grandpa would have been proud. Uh, I, I have, you know, one reason I'm doing this is, that, you know, regrets that a lot of us have. Things you don't say and share with those we love and then they're gone. Well, yeah, he's never going to get to read that book. Um, and that's kind of a shame because he was my inspiration uh, when it comes to writing. You know, he he, uh, he made it cool. And... Um, I'm here to tell you, if you have anything you have to say to anybody before it's too late, just do it. Just do it. Now, I gave a portion of the eulogy at his um, his funeral, and uh, I'm just going gonna, gonna to share that right now so you get some insight to the character that we're talking about here. And he was, he was that, he was that, a very loving character. Um, Grandpa Phil, Grandpa Phil, <laughs> Phil started right off the bat grandpa phil provided us with so much whether it was laughter a passion for music showing enthusiastic interest in all our lives but most of all he was an inspiration to me in so many ways his marriage with grandma jean set the standard that myself and my wife denise now share in our 18th year of marriage uh actually 19th year now uh, they showed us how to do it he inspired me with his books and tales aboard the USS New Mexico, and I remember sitting with him in Cooperstown on a summer night, cozy in the living room, listening to old sea shanties on vinyl while it rained outside. Um, I had never heard anything like that, those sea shanties, and nor will I again. I, I miss that vinyl collection that he had. Um, as I said, and as I said in the eulogy here, Grandpa Phil, he, he made it cool for me to pursue writing and read as much as possible. Most of all, I will remember how he found a reason to laugh every day. Uh, my Uncle John, who is not a blood relative of Grandpa's, but somebody he really looked up to. They both looked up to each other, actually. Uh, but he was on my mom's side, and he wanted me to acknowledge how Grandpa showed a vested interest in people he met and cared for. Uncle John said that no matter what the occasion, Grandpa would seek him out and listen intently, whether it was a party, get-together, whatever. He just wanted to know more about what Uncle John, as an engineer, did for a living and how he wanted to know more about his life. And he showed so much interest in the lives of others. He was a great listener. And he also, Uncle John also said Grandpa treated him like a son and he felt so welcomed by his presence. Uh, Grandpa was a great storyteller and a great listener. And he was there for a pivotal time for me on more than one occasion. I remember when I was a child, and the last time I was scared of monsters in my closet. And they were under my bed, you know the story, uh, how it goes. Uh, well, Grandpa, 
After others failed that same night, he came into my bedroom, flexed his bicep, and he did take care of himself, and said, David, you see this? This can beat up any monster. And I believe that. I was okay with that. And I've been scaring monsters ever since myself. Mostly, I wanted to share a memory in recent years to uh, being a World War II vet, Denise, my wife, and I, uh, we decided to take a trip to D.C. and bring Grandpa to the World War II memorial that he had waited to see. I actually think Grandpa orchestrated the trip, but we decided it was a good idea to take him. <laughs> we had a very nice weekend. This was about eight. Oh God, now this is going about ten years ago. And uh, Grandpa was getting, he was getting around rather well at the time. When we got to the World War II Memorial, there were some tears. And uh, Denise, my wife, and I left him alone for a bit. He was more than upset that no one he knew was there at the memorial. I guess he expected to see some folks he knew. Uh, wouldn't we all? I mean, after going something through something like that, I guess it would be a very lonely experience if there's no one left to uh, share those uh, horrific and sometimes ter- terrific memories. Um, well, we took the Metro back to the hotel and when we got off, we heard grandpa yelling, but we heard it was good yelling, happy yelling. One of his shipmates known to us only as Snuffy was at the station with his two grandsons also on their way to the World War II Memorial. They're on their way to it as we were coming back, going back to the hotel. Grandpa was the happiest I have ever seen him. Uh, We shared steak and a good bottle of Merlot that night. We actually introduced him to a bottle of Merlot, which is something rare. Usually he was the one doing the introductions. Um, So uh, let's celebrate the life of a hero who found that the key to longevity was swimming, playing saxophone, playing the organ, eating good (laughs) steak, chocolate marshmallow cookies, fine wine, and laughter once a day. And that was the part of the eulogy that I uh, that I read at his at Grandpa Phil's funeral. Um, he was a self-made man, self-educated. Uh, he was an accountant. Taught himself everything he knew about the stock market and made his bones doing it. Um, he was underappreciated in many of the jobs he's had, and that's what gave him the well. He had the integrity to make his own way, and he did, and he made sure that he provided for his family up until his last days, and uh, he was not ready, I really wasn't, he was ready to go to see his wife again, of course, who uh, left the earth, you know, grandma was gone before him, and you know, he still had a lot of life left of him, he left in him, and it was difficult to watch that, but uh, I also knew uh, when I was talking and interviewing him, that it might, I knew it was going to be the last time that I'd be able to uh, share words with him like that. Just something in me. And I'm glad that I captured what I did. And uh, there's just so much. Uh, he, you know, when he refers to my mother, he, he means grandma. Uh, he, he gets me and my dad confused every now and then. Um, and there's a lot, little references about the Navy that he brings up and some stories I didn't hear. It just you know you get a you get a sense of his sense of humor and who he was and he um, meant a lot to a lot of people. So without further ado, let me um, get into uh, Grandpa Phil here. And uh, thanks for listening. And uh, if you take something from this, then uh, if somebody means something to you, 
mean what you say to them. And don't let too much time go by. Don't leave the words unspoken. Uh, I mean, so I was pretty solid at 200, you know. I had the usual too much fat around the waist and all that. But, I mean, all this swimming and everything. swam every day, yeah. yeah. Kept me in good shape. Yes, you know? yes. Now, you, I didn't know this, but you ran track? You ran track when you were younger? No, I, did, I didn't. I, I went out for the track team because I was a sprinter. Okay. But... First of all, I wanted to run a mile. I'm like, I could, yeah. I could never in those days run long distance. distance you know? Yeah. But beyond that, they had two rehearsals a week. One of them was connected with a new paper by uh, one of Don's father's friends took me to. Uh, it was called an uh, all male glee club. Uh, 345 singers. Jeez. It's not a, I went to a rehearsal once. That's not a and it was beautiful. <laughs> that's did a lot of sea chanties, you know. And that's more like, like a brigade than a club, yeah. I think. <laughs> so that was on one of the rehearsal nights. And then I had a choir on the other rehearsal night. And I was willing to give up one of them, but not both of them, you know. So I just backed out of the thing. But um, I've never done anything competitively except in camp. I mean, that's when I built up my legs strong. I used to sprint, won most of the races up there that I entered in, so, yeah. which was pretty good. So you had it in you. One, one race, we, <laughs> there was a guy standing on my, on this side of me, and I was at the very end of the thing. And so he used to wear glasses all that time. We used to call him Cross-Eyed Kelly. His name wasn't Kelly, but he, he, he got the name. Finally, we decided it wasn't nice to call him Cross-Eyed. So we, he got the name of Kelly. And he was always introduced to me as Kelly. His name was Robert Thompson. <laughs> Robert. So, anyway, he was there with me. It was a 100-yard dash. And we started off. And he couldn't see right. He cut across the whole path of about ten other guys there, you know. And I won the race, and but they disqualified him because they said, you know, this guy he didn't see where he's going. Oh, that's good. He got you got, you the, got, the, the far end of the thing. I bet he was just as surprised as we were. It you know? sounds like you guys put a hex on him with that yeah. name. <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. You know, I never got a chance to follow up on so few fellas since the war. We all came home, we accepted jobs, and we were moved all over the country, I guess. But we had most all our friends at church, you know, and we, we'd been to church so long there, both your mother's friends and mine. And uh, your mother kept in good contact with a few of her friends, but I, Grandma, I never yeah. knew what happened to any of mine except the one fellow that I, I sang with. Um, a young chap, about six foot four, tenor voice. His father was a soloist for Fred Waring, who was a big choral man in those days. Uh, and I knew that he was killed on Saipan. He was a captain or something, and he got killed on Saipan. That's terrible. Well, when did you pick up the saxophone first? How did uh, that come on? Because I've seen you in many I, concerts. When Uncle Ted graduated from high school, I was probably a junior then in high school, and um, I somehow we scrounged together $25 and went to a pawn shop and bought a tennis X. And Ted had a trumpet, and uh, 
Uh, one day we played hooky from school to go and ride a, a, a subway train. I ah. always wanted to ride on the infamous hooky. Yeah, I remember that. You got in trouble for that. And, and then also we used to go and, and uh, play uh, hymns together because they're pitched in the same key. You know, where I'm in B flat, he's in E flat, uh, or vice versa. I guess it was. So. Um, we we played and we had a grand time for the subway ride and the playing the instruments and then my mother got a call from school. You know, that. Truancy. And I said, she asked me what happened and I told her, well, I've just been resisting the urge for several years to ride on this train. And I said, I just decided I wanted to do it. I was a little disgusted with school at the time and I wasn't doing well, you know, and and she said, and Ted, I am surprised at him. I said, Mom, he graduated from high school. He's just filling in time until the <laughs> Navy calls him. She didn't pay any attention to me. Oh, I'm so surprised that Ted would do something like this. So the saxophone was to follow after that? Is that well, what your mother, uh, your, your grandmother surprised me yeah. one Christmas by buying me a, a new alto saxophone mm. because I was getting, I had a loose tooth here. One tooth Ooh. was kicked out when I was a kid, Ooh. climbing over a fence or something, and the other one was getting loose, and I was afraid it would fall out. Well, yeah. eventually I had to have a bridge put in and it was taken out anyway. But anyway, this was a really nice saxophone. It's made by uh, one of the bigger companies. And uh, I had played alto saxophone almost completely uh, in the band in Cooperstown. Yeah, the ones I saw. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Once in uh, a couple of times when the, the girl I taught, I actually taught her to play this, the instrument, uh, she loaned me back my instrument uh, when she was going on vacation, you know, because we had several altos in the band, but only a couple of tenors. So. Yeah, you know. What I got a kick out of though was that we uh, we were waiting to go on stage, and we had a longer wait than we thought we had. We were playing with some other groups, and so uh, somebody in the saxophone sections uh, decided we should all go into a room and play um, Glenn Miller's "In the Mood." We had four tenors, four altos, two tenors, and a baritone. And geez, that sounded so good, you know. Yeah. Oh, I know that. I was always impressed with you guys. Melody is so, so tight and locked in there. It's it's really a genius it can write like that. <laughs> I enjoyed the shows at the Otisaga a lot, right along the lake there. When you yeah. had your show, those were the best shows. Yeah. I thought. Do you know that that was. Um, the Otisago was on one of those Ghost Hunter shows recently because they oh, played really? it's haunted, and they showed the area where you guys played. And yeah. didn't, I showed Denise. I was like, Denise, that's where Grandpa played. That's where the band played. We used to sit there and watch him play. Yeah, they were up on the balcony filming it. I was a pretty good saxophone player by day, considering I was so it, But after a while of uh, playing clarinet, I was never as good with the clarinet. I remember that. But. It Not that you were bad. I remember you playing. It's going by me too fast on some yeah. of these pieces, and I realized I'm, I think I was seventy-nine or eighty when I dropped out of the band. You know, and wow. I was the oldest one in the band. They verified that one day. Yeah. And um, so I, I dropped out, and I really missed it too. There was another girl and I who used to travel together, take turns. 
but she has a long trip home, and she plays in she played in the swing band, and they That's saw nice. the practice when the rest of the band went home, and I stayed with her one night because I was driving. How that go? Oh my God! I, we stayed till about ten thirty, quarter to eleven, and she has <laughs> three times the trip home that I had. So uh, I I had to drop out of that. That was too much. And the last thing I did, I went swimming one day, and I went down. I didn't see the sign. I got all undressed and put on my suit and went to the swimming pool, and it was locked. And it, it had a notice about uh, Belly is in bankruptcy and rents this building out from a, a, a lesser, I guess. Hmm. And um, so they won't renew the lease on it. Oh, wow. So they closed, and they said, and you go go to the bank in Dallas or Plain over and everything. I thought, not the bank, the pool. I I thought, I, I don't want to go driving for 45 minutes to go to another pool. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's not worth it. So I dropped out of that. And then the last thing I dropped out of, I was 87, I dropped out of the, the uh, choir. Yeah, no, I remember and that. I was presented in front of the church with one of my minor compositions uh, in a big glass frame and case thing. I have that at home there. Oh, okay. I think I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, they made a big to-do about that, which was kind of nice. I sang with them for over 20 years, and I sung, I figured out I had sung for um, over 70 years altogether, all, to, all told. And that was going into the service after singing in the church choir. And uh, they were starting a band in my unit there, a Protestant band. Although anybody can do it. <laughs> we sang at the Protestant services. And um, then when we went aboard ship, somebody wanted to start a choir there too. So when uh, we were in favorable territory and we had divine services, the choir sang then too. So of course we went for quite some time down in Okinawa and all that without going to divine service. So you had, you had music a part of your life, your it entire really life. It was the uh, most yeah. important part of my life except my marriage and children, of course. Yeah. But Gene was always very good about this. I mean, I used to go out sometimes when I we were in Levittown and I, I was 50,000 things into the church there. Mm. I was out sometimes two or three nights a week, you know, but she never complained about it, and, and she was a television-happy people. She liked all the talk shows and <laughs> all that sort of thing. <laughs> and catalogs. She loved catalogs and ordering, mail-ordering things. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it, it was never any real friction between us. That and the fact that she realized I did have some talent, particularly in my voice, you know, where I went down to a audition for the choir director and organist at St. John the Divine, oh, wow. which was, a, I was a little frightened going Intimidated, in there. yeah, yeah. But uh, he had me sing uh, the tenor part to, a, I decided it was going to be a tenor then when I got out of the Navy. Um, he had me sing uh, the tenor part to a Bach chorale. And um, I knew it, I had sung it before, mm. and I just used the light voice and I could get in and out of um, the, the high notes and the low easily, you know, without it sounding like a change of voice. Right. And he said that was very nice, and he says, now I'd like you to try something that 
I've just composed. He says I've had it printed, and he put it up. He knew I hadn't seen it, so that was the test of reading wow. that one. You know, I think he probably knew I had sung the other one sometime. Or <laughs> but he he was really quite a guy. Except he, they finally had to let him go because he used to drink too much. <laughs> <laughs> he played the Star Spangled Banner once as a postlude at the end of Fourth of July. It happened to fall on a Sunday, you know. Yeah. God, that guy could play. He'd keep adding and adding things. It finally sounded like a flight of B-17 bombers <laughs> going by. All these heavy pedal notes and everything. <laughs> That's like that story you're telling me about. You're uh, you're at the church when you played and it, you hadn't hit the pedal yet, and then when you oh hit it. yeah. <laughs> we were just talking about that yesterday. Yeah, I, I thought that was great. I think of the funny incidents that happened in my musical career. But you were playing and it wasn't loud enough. <laughs> and then you hit the pedal and blew the lid off the church. Up, I had set up things for the... Uh, uh, I don't think we had a choir then, or it must have been in the summertime then. Uh, I set up a registration on both the great organ and the swell organ for yeah. hymns and everything. So instead of starting on the great organ, which has a little more to it, you know, I started to play the doxology on the swell organ, and I don't understand this. And then I realized I had them coupled together, so I stepped out on the pedal and did the <laughs> did the coupling in there. <laughs> what a sound! <laughs> you know what we heard recently? Somebody told me about it, so I'll tell you, and you can listen to it. This is a woman playing on uh, the organ at, where is it, the military academy, West Point. Mm -hmm. Your father sent me a picture of, of the uh, organ once. He took a, a group of kids up there when they were still allowed to go on field yeah, trips. Yeah, you know. of course. And he brought me back a postcard of it. It's a huge organ. And um, this woman plays the flight of the bumblebee on her the pedals and on her their feet only, wow. except parts where you cord things in, you know. Right. But you should see her. Of course, it concentrates on the feet. But da -da 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 -da. That's unusual. That's unusual. And then she, one part, of course, she goes all the way down the scale chromatically, you know. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> that was remarkable. You were talking about your swimming earlier. I remember you swimming across the lake. Yeah. You did the width of Lake Otsego? Was the it the width, width of it? Yeah. And that was what? Because it was nine miles long, right? But it was about a, well, I actually swam a mile and a half because I, did, I didn't swim straight. Okay. Oh, you <laughs> I, I looked back and I looked at uh, I was facing Roxy's place instead of where we were standing. Was that the current? You but, uh, my friend Ted rode behind me. Just, oh, okay. And the, the lake was, it was late September, but the water was still fairly warm. Mm. And um, he rode quietly behind me there. And there was some and the, shallow... The uh, lake was like glass. Yeah. It was like glass. Oh, I missed Not that a lake. boat on it or anything else, yeah. you know. And it seemed... Uh, when we got to Sunken Island, I passed right over that. Did you stand up on Sunken Island? No, not then I didn't. I, didn't I, I got to do that. Consecutive swimming. Yeah, oh, yeah, you don't want... Of course. <laughs> but, yeah, that was... Well, well, Brian did pretty good. He, he has swim from the Sunken Island back to the... Uh, Sure, you know, that yeah. I had my eye on him because uh, I know he didn't do much swimming. He knew how to swim, but he didn't do a lot of it. Yeah, he had and endurance. I thought, well, I hope he knows what he's doing there and can serve his energy. But he didn't care. Yeah, yeah. 
course, the ocean. That's where you love to swim the most. Yeah. I, I, had, I think I did two and a half miles once in the ocean at Jones Beach. Oh, that's a feat. I got more tired walking back to where I was. <laughs> <laughs> the walking part. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but Jones but Beach. Of course, the salt keeps you more buoyant. Mm -hmm. But the waves and, uh, are a little rougher in Jones Beach. Whether or not I had a current with me, I don't remember now. Mm. But uh, it was just swimming along the shore, so nice and everything. And once Linda took me down to a, when we I visited her in Florida, or your mother did too, but your mother had to be back to work before me, so I stayed an extra couple of days. And um, she took me down to a, some beach down there where she was visiting a friend, and they took me down the beach and leave, left me there. And uh, there was nobody, on, it, was, it wasn't a regular beach, but um, I started swimming parallel with the shore, you know. I won't be on the safe side. Right, right. You're all alive, I'm all alone down there. And as I'm breaststroking, because I'm not doing the freestyle, I want to see where I'm going. Understandable. Something stamped hard. I hit. It was probably a shell of a turtle or something. Oh. Well, I want to tell you, I set a new record for the hundred yard dash. <laughs> <laughs> Did you run up the beach too? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> wow. Who knows? You know that could be. It that, was, was, that was a nice day out, though. <laughs> Just being all completely alone on a beach like that—that that can, can't happen very much in this civilized world we have. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, that was a nice day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then, of course, there's one of my favorite stories of you coming home from the liquor store that oh, you geez, worked. That's, one, that's everybody's favorite story. Yeah, you started to tell yesterday, but that was a great one. That, <laughs> you're coming home from closing the store. You're carrying bottles down Fair Street. Was it Fair? Yeah, I, what had happened, I, I, somehow a bottle of uh, half a gallon of Four Roses had broken uh, the, cork, the top of it, a cork. <laughs> And so I couldn't very well sell it, so I thought, well, bring it home for ball whiskey, you know. And, and so I had it, and Mother had it collected a whole lot of streamers that we had we put up in the window and everything. Of course. <laughs> and uh, yeah. then going down Pioneer Street, Pioneer there, Street there just was. before I got to the bar there, I fell in the street. <laughs> and I, re I hurt my back too, but the things struck me as so ludicrous that, you know, I had to sort of laugh like <laughs> The village liquor store owner. <laughs> especially the thought of someone prominent person from the church walking down and seeing... Smelling of alcohol. One of the Presbyterians, owner of a liquor store, laying in the gutter with, with all streamers. It. And I threw streamers all over the place. <laughs> that, that, seems, that seems to be the favorite tell story about Grandpa. There, there was a witness, too. Didn't a woman from the church see you? I don't know whether anybody <laughs> saw me or not. No, oh, okay. I did. You're thinking of another time when she I saw fell you down. Trip. I fell down in the winter time. I, I kept trying Lord. to keep going, you know, before a nurse <laughs> And I ended up on her, about her feet. And she looked at me horrified. I probably had destroyed myself. I said, it, it's all right, Mark. And I said, I... I didn't hurt myself. No, you, you didn't. Then, you didn't take a nip of the bottle on your way home. No, no, you never the did. The summertime, <laughs> we were going to church, and they were in front of us, and we waved to each other. And in the middle of Pioneer Street, with absolutely nothing there, I fell down. And she looked in, at me again in horror. And then at the church, she said, "I don't think I'm going to look at you anymore." She says, "Every time I do, you fall down." <laughs> 
Oh, that's good. Oh, that's but still that's still funny. Time, it wasn't funny though. I really, uh, every time I fell down because of my age, my skin yeah. is like parchment. You know, when I, I, it would be a tear and all. Yesterday, one of the uh, people that comes with the, the nurses like that, he was wheeling me down the hall and he bumped into the side uh, of the wall with brother. the thing. And it, I hadn't got my elbows all the way in. I was yeah. leaning like this, and it was a little tiny cut, you know. And I l kept looking at it, and it spread and spread. So finally, I told him, and I did an elaborate job of. I said a band-aid will do. You don't have to put all that stuff on, but right. I did anyway. So mm. I meet some awfully nice nurses though at this uh, program. They're just so pleasant and nice to be with and everything. But these these girls in the in the other place where I was in the assisted living, they were really nice to me and and you know I'm, I'm nice to people too. It yeah. works both ways. And this one little girl from uh, Hawaii, she used to sing to me in the morning. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, she sing good morning to you, and then I sing good morning to you, and we both sing good morning, dear Nora Phil. Good morning. <laughs> probably somebody thought we were nuts or losing our marbles or something. <laughs> That's all right too. But when I saw her the other day, we went down there to see if my paper had gone astray down there, you know. And um, she saw me, she was serving dinner at the time, and she came running over and she kissed me right on the head there, and then she kissed me a second time after that. And then there was uh, the oldest of the women, uh, she was, she had just turned 60, and uh, she came over and she kissed me on the cheek. Wow. And, uh, so I thought to myself, well, I've made a good impression with these people, you <laughs> Apparently know, you did. I've treated them nicely yeah. as they've treated me. and. Some people are so cantankerous, or, or else they think they're the boss, you know, and do this, do that. And Didn't they uh, deem you as the most kissable? You're <laughs> <laughs> still getting awards. <laughs> Some of the girls they need to still, I forgot who it was. Me and Denise talk about our trip to Washington, D.C. that time a lot, and how much fun that was. Yeah. And you running into your old shipmate. Was yeah. just that, we, we were going that to see the World so War Two. Unusual, wasn't it? Yeah, we were on our way to see the World War Two memorial, and you ran into a shipmate. You just got that a was, picture of him as, as he was going out the door. Yes, his name was. Uh, you had a nickname. What's his name now. You had a nickname for it's him. Something or oh yeah, he had a nickname. That's right, I forget what. You want to say Weasley or Be yeah. like Beansy? I, or, I, I can't remember. I was in the division for a year in the fire control division. I yeah. never heard him call that name, and then when I got out into the post office. Uh, then they started calling him this nickname. I forget what it was now. He probably did something to get it. I just wonder what. I can't remember what it was. You knew him immediately when you yeah. saw him, you, and he was there with his grandchildren. Yeah. For the same reason, they, to see they the were memorial. Trying to, trying to get the darn tippet out with it, all the knobs. Right, the metro. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then you were trying to help me. Yeah, out. well, we figured it and out. He and I well. were both standing there without realizing it at first. It's hysterical. That was hysterical. Yeah. And then that was, yeah, that was a good trip. That was a really good trip. I did see him once at a reunion. You did? That. Okay. But, uh, I the whole that. organization, it hasn't gone down the drain, but various children, uh, upon suggestion, I've decided to take the thing over. So uh, this, they have about the last time we I went, they had twelve shipmates and forty-seven children. So that was pretty good. Wow! You know? <laughs> all, all, uh, yeah, so they, they're running the thing now. 
So the New Mexico, it's all run now by the children of... Yeah. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. There's a kitty. <laughs> Doing all right? <laughs> I'm, I'm allergic, but that's a cute oh. cat. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> she had the, the cat over Who here. Who was that? That was... Um, the one that Ebony. Was yeah, she had the cat with oh. her. Yeah, yeah. Cute cat, though. <laughs> but yeah, so... Yeah, you used to go to those, uh, the New Mexico... What, once a year you'd go to the... Yeah, meet your shipmates? Every September, the end of September, we used to have it. It was... It was nice. Know, grandma would go with you, Grandma. We went on a tour. Yeah. We went to different places. The last four or five years, though, they decided there were too many complaints when it was on the East Coast that the West Coast men had to pay that airfare, you know, all the way across. So they decided to have it right near where they live, which is on the Miss Mississippi River. Halves the country pretty equally in yeah. half there. So that was satisfactory with everybody. And of course, we liked it because we had a very short trip over mm, there. That's true. Well, did you uh, ever run into people you worked with, uh, like in the mailroom of the New Mexico? Did you ever have shipmates that you remembered from back then? Or did you guys all know each other? I mean, oh, I didn't know anything about the thing. This was oh, okay. started by some no. of the sailors themselves. And uh, because uh, one of the California ports was the home port of the ship, it started there. And they had just okay. Californians in it for a while. Oh, okay. And finally, this one fellow I, I wrote to in Omaha, he kept saying what a grand time they had at the reunion. And I said, Greg, would you tell me more about this reunion? Uh, maybe I should be a part of it. You know? yeah. So he did, and we joined. And we went to about 10 or 11 of these things, I guess. Actually, we could have gone to one of the... Uh, Don graduated from college because it was in Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. Very close by, but I didn't realize that at the time, and so we missed that one day. Wow. But it's, uh, I could never complain about anything in my life, really, because, uh, you know, everything has worked out pretty good. It's just now that all of a sudden I'm falling apart. I mean, there's so many things wrong with me that it's... I went to have my glasses looked yeah, at today, yeah. and... And she said, as long as those uh, cataracts don't bother you, she said, they wait right down the corner of the eye. Mm. She said, as long as they don't bother you. So, but I've got to get a light, uh, a lamp with a proper bulb in it, you know. Ellen is talking about that. I, I don't know if she's getting you one or bringing one from I home. I wanted a hundred okay. bulbs. Okay. And a floor lamp that shines over my shoulder, you know. Okay. Um, I don't know, maybe that's what she's doing, but she'll be here shortly. Because so, I like to read, and it's the only thing left for me to do in that place. They don't even have a, like a library or something like the other place does. And I either sit in my room or I have to sit out with the people watching television who are asleep most of the time yeah. anyway. <laughs> this one man, he barely wakes up and sometimes he doesn't look like he's awake to mm. go to meals. And she has to feed them all the time, you know. We have one woman and four men over yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I've made friends in a way with one man who seems sane. I think they said he was a priest down in Brazil or something like wow. that. But he, he does say hello to me and smiles, you know. The, the other two guys are just lost somewhere. And the, even the woman is... A little talkative, although she, they said she has Alzheimer's too, you know, so it's kind of sad 
Yeah. Getting old and, and eating your meals with people that are all slopping all over the place, and then I slopped all over my shirt this morning. Yeah, I, I do it all the time. <laughs> Just forget your meatballs, and that's some of the sauce went all over my. Ah, you gotta make it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I still do that too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I always have been kind of a slopper at that, you know. <laughs> Come to think of it. I never knew you to be a slopper, but okay. <laughs> eating on a ship isn't the easiest well, thing in the world. There you go. Although our ship was, you know, it was so broad that it rolled uh, very slowly back and forth. It's the little ships which is almost impossible to eat. It's impossible to cook anything on them. There were the, the sides are up almost <laughs> equal to the bottom sometimes. Well, what I was asking before, did you ever run into people that worked in the mailroom with you yeah. at, the, at the reunions? Did you ever see any of those guys? Yeah, no, I never saw either of them. Well, one fellow was uh, picked up for being homosexual. Oh. And uh, he was given five years on Mare Island, although I suspect they would have suspended it after the war, you know. Wow, yeah. But, uh, Jeez, that's they a were very times. strict about that. And now they're, they're just the opposite. Sh Sean called me up, you know, once and said, Grandpa, you got to come out here. He says, uh, I have this fellow at MGM, and uh, he, uh, he's going on a tour of the uh, big carrier Stenson mm. and to see the submarine. There. I remember that, yeah. You remember that? I remember when you went, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, when I went out there and all that, you know, I really enjoyed looking at it. But when we went through the carrier, the flight officer was in charge of our tour. And uh, somebody asked them, how many women came back pregnant? <laughs> the, the 500 women and 5,000 men. Wow. Uh, carrier. And the guy says, 37. Well, figure it out. These are the girls that got caught. <laughs> Unless some wanted to get pregnant because uh, they didn't like the Navy life or something. Interesting. But you've got a ratio of 1 to 10. And I said, consider the human part of it. I said, not, the, not whether you're being fair to the women. I right. said, suppose two men fall in love with one woman and she shows a preference to just the one man, whoever he is. I said, what do you think that does to the morale of the other guy? And I said, more of that could mm. go on than you would think mm. in a ship. I know we were so glad to see women. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yes. <in> heavens. <laughs> Bernie Ball Publishing presents the next step in evolution of horror. David J. Fairhead's The Fall of Tomorrow. The Fall of Tomorrow is a tale of desperation told by those who are striving to salvage some hope against a ravenous bastion of evil bent on ruling our world. Burning Bow Publishing presents The Fall of Tomorrow by David J. Fairhead. Available May 1st at Amazon.com and at BurningBowPublishing.com. Okinawa, which is only 700 miles from Japan, you know. But uh, going into the Guadalcanal there was quite an enterprise because we had some very good Marines and they were pretty well trained. And uh, But at the same time, uh, we did not have the Navy to offset the Japanese Navy at the time. They were building like crazy. 
but uh, they just uh, had some really bad uh, uh, naval skirmishes down there, you know. And the worst one was in the beginning of the book, Savoy Island. That's when we lost the four, four cruisers and about 4,000 men. Were they ambushed? How, I mean, what happened? Had we lost well, them? radar was far from being perfected in those days. Hmm. And uh, we had something that sufficed for it at the time. And the Japanese did too, but nobody had a complete thing. And so one night, we were steaming, and uh, I might add here, the Japanese like a night battle, that's what they practice mm -hmm. mostly. So we were steaming up near one of the uh, smaller islands down there, and out of nowhere comes the Japanese fleet. And we weren't prepared for them or anything like that. And uh, we lost that first... Uh, you begin to realize, I began to realize, in the ship-to-ship battle, what a terrible thing that is. I mean, the destruction that can be done by a heavy cruiser or a... Uh, a battleship is unbelievable, jeez. And it describes in details the, the type of damage that's done. And you really have a sense of it. You feel like you're with these guys, you know, when you read it. And so they had that battle. And then later on was the screwiest battle of the whole war. I never even read about it. But somehow, uh, through lack of good radar, or weather conditions, one or the other, both are affected by the weather. Uh, somehow we we came, they usually fight a sea battle at about 20 miles, you know, because the battleships are brought into play first, and they are very accurate at 20 miles. But somehow they did, I don't know whether they didn't have battleships or they did they got mixed up or something, but the battle was fought from about two miles. And it said there, one man was talking to another man, a captain, I guess, of another ship on the so-called TBS talk between ships. It's on a, a slow, uh, I mean, a low voltage thing, you know, where just the ships themselves can hear each other talk. Well, he said he had to drop the phone quickly and uh, grab the helm to avoid hitting a Japanese destroyer. <laughs> so, oh, I smoke. mean, they were all intermingled together. They were just shooting like crazy and everything. It said in uh, the beginning of the, uh, the section on Savile Island battles, uh, each side lost 94, but we lost the worst things. They, they lost little ships like destroyers and all that, and we lost the heavy cruisers, which really hurt. And the head of the uh, Admiralty here at the time, he said it was the blackest day of his life when he read that four cruisers had gone down. Was that and in the course of an entire day or a night that all four went down? Yeah. Was it, was, it was. Wow. Oh, yeah. The, the war, even toward the end of it, was fought a lot differently than when it was. Because you still have problems with radar. If you're too close to land, you can get what they call land echoes coming back. They're the they're things that come back and give blips on the screen. And false readings. The, the and false blips they are, yeah. Wow. And they knew that, too, probably. But, um, the beginning of was several while in there. And, and also, uh, we lost, we had three carriers and we lost two of them down there. I think the only one we had afloat was the Enterprise. And they were told never to engage in a combat, just a, a defense. Wow, and wow, they would have been seen in different parts of the ocean, you know, steaming all around. So Japanese would never know we were down to one carrier. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. And what, 
what exciting thing is a bomb hit a destroyer right on the four four bow down there. and the thing was in flames and the captain could hardly see but he decided to put on full speed and went over behind the uh, uh, hey how are you yeah visitor Oh. Do you know what time you're taking the dinner tonight? Um, let's see here. That's going to be... Let's see. Anlin has come back here, um, so we're going to be at least two hours here. Are you think about 5 o'clock for dinner? Is that what you yes. want to do? I'll meet you at 5 five or 5 30 We probably will be back by about 7.30, I imagine. Are you taking them now? Oh, no, not till, um we, We're going to go back. We have to get the other two people, and then we're going to pick them up. Okay. So figure we'll be back here for 5, 5.30. Yeah, I'll be range. back here at 5.30? I want to say, if she was here, she could tell you, because I don't know the distance. But um, I'm going to say safe between 5 and 5.30. Okay, because we're about to wash this clothes now, so I just wanted to make sure. Okay, sure. yeah, yeah, because we're going to come back again. So, okay. I mean, yeah. All right. Yeah. Talk. All right. Thank you. Um, so he pulled this uh, destroyer up behind this as the battle kicked out Dakota that was heavily engaged itself in planes and torpedoes. And, but it was going at top speed and swerving in and out, you know, and making emergency turns to avoid the planes. And it was churning up a tremendous wake behind it. So this guy pulls this destroyer up right behind the uh, the wake that's being churned up, and it put out the fire. <laughs> oh my! And I said I said to somebody who was wow discussed it with several people. I said, I'll bet he never learned that at West Point over <laughs> in Annapolis. <laughs> that was a pretty shrewd thing to do. Opportunity. He had to be careful of him. He got close enough to take advantage of the water. And uh, not too close that if the it's slowed down, they'd run into each other. You know, <laughs> we were traveling a heavy escort once down to one of the islands. There, uh, about sixty vessels in there, most of them battleships and cruisers. And, and in one of those, they um, what they do is zigzag. They call it, you know, ships to avoid traveling the sub- like this in a, right. in a given minute, second. Everybody swerves this way. Not to so avoid submarines, right? Partner, you know? yeah, okay. <laughs> but what happened is somebody smashed into the side of the battleship Pennsylvania. Oh, what was it? One of these converted destroyers that were carrying mines and, and all kinds of dynamite to blow up this oh, things, God. obstacles in the water. And everybody sort of held their breath. They like, God, if that thing ever went up, it would it illuminate didn't. the whole scene. It didn't. It didn't go up. I take it. Yeah. It didn't. Uh, <laughs> but I, I did. I always seem to get back on the Navy. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. 
Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, my name is Prince Daniels Jr. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid. 